What's up, humans? Welcome to The Human Music Podcast. I'm Luke Rain, my co-hosts are Tesco and Rip Kinney, and we're all music producers, artists, and producer coaches. This show is where we discuss all things music production and interview amazing creatives about their origins, their process, and whatever else comes up. This week is episode 128, How to Use Clipping for Loudness. Every electronic producer wants to be able to get their songs loud, but how do we do this? There's a lot of information about this out there, and some of it conflicts. One way that we found to help us a lot is using clippers. On this episode, we dive into what clipping is, how to use clipping, why we were told to leave headroom in the mix bus, whether we actually do need to leave headroom, the Skrillex busing template, which clipper plugins we use and why, what hard clipping is versus soft clipping, and the clip to zero method. The song of the week is Flow Mads and Luke Rain, Deja Vu, out Friday. November 18th. If you're listening to this right away, that link down below is for the pre-save. And if you're listening to it a little later, you can use that link to go listen to the tune. Please run us up. I'm really excited about this release. You can hear it behind me. This is a jam. And uh, you can support our sponsors like the Spice It Up Percussion and Foley Pack. That's over 2,000 percussion loops and one-shots from Luke Rain and Porch. Spice It Up with Percussion and Foley. There's Dojo TV. That's free producer live stream classes from the Dojo Senseis. Also, Tesco's Patreon. He's launched a Patreon channel where you can get access to his Discord track feedback, private lessons, and more. There's the weekly download where you can learn from Ill Gates and his private weekly group lessons and get access to over 300 more episodes in the archive for just 20 bucks a month. And guest practices where you can learn from Seth Drake at the Approach Institute. He's the best engineer we know, and your first class is free. Check us out at thehumanmusicpodcast.com and make sure to tell your friends about us you can send them that link there and they will be able to find us anywhere or you can send them one of your favorite episodes to get them started appreciate y'all so much that helps us grow let the people know i know how happy i've been when people have shared dope podcasts with me that i've gotten to binge through and there is 128 bingeable episodes out now all right y'all let's get on into this episode hello people of earth this is tesco with Rip Kenny and Trap Jesus, and you're listening to the uh, Human Music Podcast. Woo! Hmm. Human Music Podcast. I like it. We're sliding in sideways, just barely on time here for the live stream on Dojo TV. What's mm. up, Dojo TV? Mm-hmm. We love you guys. We missed Drifting. you. We're yeah, it's back. Been a, it's been a while. Yeah, I haven't been on here for a month. I mean, actually, I was, I not not to brag or nothing, little, you know, but uh, I was here two weeks ago. Uh, you guys, uh, I, I, you weren't. You weren't, but I uh, actually last minute just decided to live stream an old episode uh, that we did that that mental health episode on coping mm. with Colleen, where we got interviewed on another podcast about musicians' mental health. So I just I showed up. About I literally just pressed play on Spotify and then hung out in the Good. chat talking to one person. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Because uh, we had already made the announcement that we weren't going to do it, and then I changed my mind at the last minute. So, shouts out to the one person that hung out with you me. Crazy, yeah, crazy. it was beautiful. But yeah, here we are. We're back, and you know, better. One thing that I know many producers struggle with, especially any producer that's ever tried to engineer anything at all in the electric genres, 
is making shit loud. Yes. How do you do that? There's lots of ways. Yeah. You, you blow it all up and then you rebuild it if, many times. That's real. Um, if we listen to Baphometrics and generally when you're talking about you engineering, should we should all be yeah. listening to Baphometrics. If you don't know about Baphometrics, I will remember to put a link to their YouTube channel down below. And uh, there's a lot of really good stuff. You could dive in for many, many, many hours longer than we're going to talk about this on this podcast. But Baphometrics says loudness is in the mix. A lot of people, common misconception that loudness is in the mastering stage. And mm. for a long time, I heard you got to leave a bunch of headroom. You can't let your mix get anywhere near zero. You got to leave. Some people said four decibels. Some people said six decibels. Some people I heard even like 10 or 12 decibels of headroom between your highest peak. And these are all very different numbers. Like literally 12 decibels is twice as quiet as six decibels. Like why? Why are we going that far away from the head. Do you, do you any guys know where this like, you know, this rule of thumb started in mixing? I think probably analog gear because I know most like, yeah, compressors and stuff mm. would react between like minus 12 to minus 18, I think. So I think it was a result of like analog gear not sounding I mean, it did sound good distorted, but generally like distortion was seen as a negative thing. So people would try to avoid it. They try to keep a bunch of headroom and then obviously all of the mastering stuff was analog too so even as they were trying to crank it they were being very conscious of their levels yeah yeah i always thought it was like hipster mastering engineers that were all like our process oh, just a bunch just of pretentious a, boomers yeah just a bunch of pretentious <laughs> boomers who hated when you sent them a shitty mix which was every time mm-hmm. and <laughs> so they made a bunch of rules for you to follow so that they could bitch about less things and it I mean, that is also partially true. Wait, hip, hipsters doing things so that they could complain less? This is not tracking. <laughs> mm, no, well, yeah. <laughs> it's, I guess hipster wasn't the right word, but kind of snobby, you have to do it oh, yeah. this way yeah. type stuff, which is probably partially for good reason and partially because that's the way the dude that taught him told him to do yeah. it. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, as one. Know, uh, oh yeah, go for it. Too. Not not to cut you off, but one really interesting thing too that 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 uh you know for the people that might not know or might not have thought about it this way, a couple months ago I read a book. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it was called. I think it was called like the producer as the musician or something like that. A mentor recommended it, and uh, it was really insightful because I never really thought about the fact that pre like Beatles ish people would just record stuff like as it was type of thing. And it wasn't really until like then, which wasn't that long ago that people started to like slowly experiment with a little production and then it snowballed into what we have today. So this, all of this shit is like new, new, like there is so much unexplored stuff. And with anything, when it first starts out, there's like a set of, rules a way it should be done but i think we moved past yeah. that and, and by, and that's as it was, by recording it as it was you mean like they just got a bunch of people in a room yeah yeah put mics in the best place they know like, i think that was production was like who's in the room 
and where are the mics at? That was your producer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe moving the mixing fader. Yeah, maybe maybe manually. like messing with the composition a little bit. Like, no, nah, we don't need all those strings in there. And plus, uh, we we ran out of microphones. Yeah. So all funny right, enough, take that's actually the most. That's actually the most important mixing decision. Funny enough, is like, should that string layer actually be an octave up? Yeah. Like I've actually like not to sidetrack us. <laughs> I mean, per <laughs> usual, but, uh, oh, you're serious. We're back, uh, baby. I've like as <laughs> like I have realized recently. Like I've always I've always known that composition is super important, and it's kind of snowballed into more importance as I've like gone on. But like I find myself doing less work on a mix when I take the time to like take all of the <laughs> instrument parts and like just this doesn't feel like it sits right with this. Can I move it an octave up? No, like, because this reason or that, like, okay, so if it's playing two notes, can I move the bottom note up? Does that, does that still maintain like the feel that I'm going for without, without ruining it? And like, if you get all of that just right and with the right elements, like you make your mix real easy to do. Amen. Yeah. Asterisks. <laughs> and, you know, just like you're saying, Baphometric says the loudness is in the mix, right? And, mm. you know, these are these are composition decisions, which comes even before the mix. Like, and if you're in a mixing situation where things are fighting each other, how can you move them in the imaginary three-dimensional space that, that your song is taking up? You know, the vertical axis we think of is going to be frequency, so... You know, Evan's move there is, can I move this up or down an octave so that it's not fighting something else? You know, there's also, you know, width. Can I make something wide so that it's not in the way of something that's narrow in the middle? There's also depth. Can I push something to the back so that it's not in the way of the thing that's in front? You know, Um, these are all good decisions and can help you get, you know, a cleaner mix as we're going and the cleaner your mix is usually the easier it is to get louder. Um, but yeah, so back around to the Y headroom, um, because mm-hmm. you like head and you like room as, as Tesco <laughs> wonderfully <No>. said, <laughs> why not both? <laughs> Before we started no. rolling, <laughs> I had to bring that back. Those two. Uh, 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 I need joke. Yeah. So we have all of these things that get told to us that we don't always ask, but why though? And I never asked why all this headroom. People just said, leave headroom. And I said, okay. And I always made my mixes really quiet. And then I would crank the absolute shit out of a limiter. And then I would think my mix was good until I did that limiting. And then it would not sound as good. And then I would go chasing my tail in a loop. And I would be like, oh, well, now this is too quiet. No, let me turn that down and turn, turn that up. And this is too loud. Let me turn that down. And But every decision I make changes the relationship between something else. And then I'm just like chasing my tail on this because I did my mixing in a genre that everything gets squashed eventually and everything gets made really loud eventually. And I made all my decisions with everything really quiet and not squished at all. And then I squished things all at once together and their relationships changed. Now, I've I've asked a lot Mm -hmm. of people about this since I I started learning some different methods and different philosophies uh, more recently. And everybody has had that same problem 
where you think your mix is sounding super dialed when you do it quiet. You crank your speakers up. It sounds solid. And then you crank your limiter up. And now it's time for, you know, seven versions of more changes. Final, final, really, I swear to God, final version three. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, only version three? That's pretty good still. Oh, you know, there was only three finals finals. and three. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I I learned somewhere about year five that just don't put final. Never. Don't say the F word at all. Ever. Don't even say it. Yeah, now it's a jinx. jinx. Yeah. Nowadays, I'll just like, I'll like, I'll make the track and then I'll hit save as and title it whatever it's called, mix one. And then if I decide that, you know what? I need to do a lot of big changes. Now it's mixed two, three, four, however many it takes. And then when I bounce it, I put the date on it. <laughs> so I know yeah. inside of that mix, when did this actually get bounced? I just mm-hmm. start with the title and 1.1. And then every save as is just 1.2, 1.3, 1.4, 1.5 to, you know, all the way up. And that's, that's every bounce just has a, a number and a decimal place and another number. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's 5.4. The drums were good in that one. Or sometimes I'll put like brackets and like what I did, but it hasn't failed me this far. It's yeah. very organized. A lot of good ways to do it. Just don't ever write final in your ever. in the title because uh, <laughs> you will jinx yourself for yes. sure. Yeah. Um, so every time you say final, someone starts a new project somewhere <laughs> in the world. <laughs> they won't finish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they abandoned the last project. Yep. Um, on that note, I want to ask you guys, how much headroom are you actually leaving in your mixes? Because I kind of take a more modern approach and uh, I feel like I might be playing devil's advocate a little in this conversation. I'm curious how much you guys actually follow that because I found for me, a lot of the advice I heard about headroom didn't didn't move me closer to the result I wanted. It just me frustrated either. me even more. Yeah, and that's why I brought it up. That's exactly why I brought it up because I got told for years leave headroom. I left headroom, and I kept coming up against the same problem. When I would get to the mastering stage, I used air quotes for all the listeners. Uh, when I would get to the mastering stage and crank the shit into a limiter to make it as loud as my reference tracks, I would find that everything would change. Then I learned about the Skrillex bussing template. And in that bussing template, when Skrillex put out his Mumbai power video, like walkthrough uh, of his session on YouTube and then Ahi and then Ill Gates and some other people did breakdowns of what was going on in there. Notice that like, he would clip his kick and clip his snare and then clip his whole drum group and then clip the bass group. And then he would put a clipper at every stage along the way. Anytime groups would sum together and it's like, huh, why is he doing this? Well, he gets really loud, clean mixes. And the idea that I got told here is every time you sum things together, you know, there can be things where even if you controlled the volume of each channel with your compressors there's going to be places where things stack on top of each other. Like your snare is only this loud and that's how loud I want my snare. And this is how loud my kick is. And these are the two loudest things in the song. But then a hi-hat hits at the same place. And there's also a shaker and there's also a cowbell and the vocal's still going and the pad is going. And then all of a sudden you set your, you set your level at this arbitrary number and then everything's going louder than that. 
because things are stacking up. But if we just shave off little bits of extra volume that are unnecessary at each stage, make sure your kick sounds good and it never goes louder than this ceiling. And you set that at the level you want. Same with the snare, same with the drum group, same with the percussion group, same with the bass group. And then when all those come together as like your whole beat group, you can clip that a little bit and just make sure that you're really controlling the dynamics all the way through. I found it so much easier to then crank up from my negative six to zero and and beyond and get you know and get ducking on my uh, or not ducking part of me get a uh, game reduction on my mastering limiter. I would I would find way less of these problems where things would go completely out of whack when I controlled my dynamics at each stage like that instead of waiting till the end to think about clipping on the master limiter. You guys find the same? Yeah, definitely. They, they, um, they nod on, on a <laughs> yeah, podcast. <I'm>, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, for sure. Was... I mean, uh, I feel like I had a big like breakthrough mixing-wise, realizing that kind of like groups within groups and kind of having that hierarchy of like, maybe your synths group is like 20 channels, but that's like one third guitars, one third keys, one third whatever. So then you compress those together so they're a little more consistent. And then together they make up the synths. Um, all of that, it kind of doing it in layers uh, was a big breakthrough. And then seeing that Skrillex video and seeing that kind of pop off was really reassuring. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do exactly the Skrillex way, but everything you said like to the T is like so instrumental in me getting my sound no pun intended uh but (laughs) it's so instrumental for my instrumentals um but it is really that little bit of like shaving off like you'll you'll notice um shout out g clip i use this plugin even if i'm not clipping stuff just to look at the waveform because it's free because whether i need to compress or clip it'll immediately not immediately but you let it run through and you can kind of see like in the waveform, all right, the bulk of my waveform is like kind of here. Anything past roughly this point to my eye feels like an outlier. So like, let me just clip that off if it's for my drums. And now my drums always at the highest point are hitting at the same loudness, regardless of whether it's one kick or a kick and a hi-hat, whatever. Um, Like you mentioned, Luke, all that shit helps so much because now it's like that 6 dB of headroom and especially on the drums because they're so transienty. 6 dB on the drums here to get a little bit off of uh, maybe one of your synths is like really plucky or something. Y- you save a couple of dB here and there and now suddenly you're able to like bring it up that whole amount and you clip off what's like such a short aspect of that sound, a, a couple dB of that to bring the whole body of the sound up into mm-hmm. like the louder dynamics. So it's it's so so uh game changing and like a must for mixing. Cause if you if your shit's like moving all over the place, how how do you ever set it to like a consistent place to mix it? Yeah. So so all of that really helps just you know get that consistency. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that I like about clipping, um I honestly I will more frequently use like the Ableton saturator on clip. I know that's not really hard clipping. It's more soft clipping, but still it's it, clipping it, it, and it, it gives you the saturation you're looking for. Right. And, um, 
Really, I just like the fact that with a compressor, the time-based effect of a compressor always... Ever since I learned from Dylan to like, if you're unsure about what the compressor is doing, like solo the track, resample the kick or whatever it is, and render out the waveform with the compressor on and off. And when I started doing that, I realized what I thought was making a kick better was just making a super loud transient and missing the woomph and like just not making the waveform that I needed. Um, the nice part about clipping is because it doesn't have a time-based, you know, parameter. It's not responding with 10 milliseconds of attack and then, you know, 30 seconds, 30 milliseconds of release. It's just like, if it goes over this, it gets clipped off and makes a square waveform at the top. Like that seems way simpler for me to get, like, I know that if I have something that has like a giant transient and then like the play button shape that I'm looking for on this kick is like, you know, three dBs below the top of that transient. All I got to do is clip off that transient. And then it's like, there we go. I don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just a a way simpler, like more effective, like way to get to the result that, you know, we're looking for in like loud, you know, dance music type settings. Yeah. And that right. That last thing you just said is really important. If you're mixing a folk record, yeah. Be very judicious with what you think you might want to clip because it makes right. it can make very natural sounds sound unnatural. Like the 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 natural sound of an acoustic guitar is very dynamic. And you know, so be be careful with what you decide to clip. And if you're questioning it, experiment. A B it. Listen while turning the plug-in on and off, both in isolation and in the mix, and see is this actually doing what I want? Because sometimes Clipping makes shit sound so much better, especially shit that's supposed to be super loud and grimy and gritty, bass music, you know, dance music, electronic music. Clipping actually is kind of now baked into what we expect to hear. You know, yeah. like everything yeah. gets clipped at at the very least, it gets the shit clipped out of it when we run it into the limiter at the end. But it's usually way easier to get that to sound good and hit our loudness targets of our reference tracks if we're clipping it along the way. Yeah. I think that this is a this is a good point in this discussion for me to bring up something I knew I was going to have to bring up the whole time is this disclaimer that like don't just clip everything because we said that it works and it's a good idea like anything that's just dogma that you follow blindly without thinking about why like we asked at the beginning of this conversation is not a good idea like yeah this some is anti-cult sa- some samples that you're this using like that that decap kick is already <laughs> clipped like a motherfucker if you pull up that waveform you see the first 20 milliseconds are just bricked against the top mm-hmm. that is already clipped if you clip that again it's just going to get more farty and like not it already thuds it can't have need, any more clip. You, yeah, you don't need to clip that one again. So you, you just need to think about why you're using the thing, which is, again, I, I've i always had this inkling in the back of my head, like the Skrillex bus template for someone that is looking for a quick fix to a loud 
mix and master that hasn't spent the time to like know what different things like know how to spot the issue it could be creating can also be just as dangerous because again, it's anything dogmatic where you don't actually know the ins and outs and you're just doing it might not yield the intended result. Maybe half the time it does, but then the half that it doesn't, you don't know where to go to fix it. And do we know if Skrillex always does that or has always no, we just done that? And has he done it project. since? Is that just how he did it on that one to get it loud? And he thought it was cool, so he uploaded a video. Why didn't he upload that video before? Why has he never talked about it? You know, did he just like, oh, this was sick and it got it loud? Posts a video. He didn't say, this is what I do. He didn't say, this is my process. He just posted a video like zooming in on shit and then showing you the loudness meter. What, like, did he troll everyone? I, I'm sure he wasn't actually intended to troll anyone, but like, we don't really know. Is that his process? What if someone gave him that template and they're just seeing it called the right? Skrillex template now? Like all of that, it just goes to show like you got you to gotta listen and decide for yourself and knowing that this is a tool you can use to achieve this result is really beneficial thinking this is the only way to do it and that it's going to make it so you don't have to learn mixing like don't do that yeah i think one thing you said earlier evan is important on uh that note that it kind of like square wave defies everything that you kind of clip off and um on that note of like the decap kick doesn't need it because it's already pretty squared off. Having that knowledge is really key because now you know when you're looking at a waveform, how it looks. And even when you drag it in the sampler or whatever and you see the kicks there, whatever it may be, if it's really flat already for a majority of the sound and there's like no transient relative to the body which there should be like a spike in volume when the transient hits. If it's already level with the body, like don't even touch that shit. Just yep. level it where it needs to be. You don't need any compression because you're kind of missing the point of like, there's nothing really to tame yeah. volume wise if, ev if everything's already leveled. So just something to watch out for. And, and also like one thing I feel really uh, helped me kind of understand when to use it is uh typically it's going to be more transparent on shorter sounds so like drums and stuff especially acoustic drums if you ever worked with them the like hit of like a snare or a tom skin is a huge ass peak huge. and the body is tiny compared to electronic samples of toms kicks so on so you're gonna clip a lot more uh, maybe even in folk, you would just to get, bring the body of the drums up. Mm -hmm. But definitely in electronic music, you'll notice it's used way more. Just keep in mind that, uh, like I said, it's way more transparent on shorter sounds where it's like mainly just a transient. But if you're kind of unsure of that squareify, square wave effect that we're talking about, bring in a longer sound. Uh, maybe like a sine wave or something and just start clipping it more and more and notice how it changes the tone and brings in more high end. That's kind of essentially what you're doing to your group or your master or your uh, whatever as a whole when you apply clipping, especially the longer the sound is. So uh, I feel like that's a good little test kind of to wrap your mind around how it's affecting the sound, what more square wave like sounds like 
And once you're kind of used to that quality and you hear how it takes out the lows and brings up the highs, much like a square wave would sound in a synth, then uh, it's a good reference point to have when you're applying these to... um, uh, I feel like it's a hierarchy, right? If it's on one element, you could probably use it more. If it's on a group, probably not as much as like one element. If it's on the master, everything on the master is just sprinkles, very light. Everything is just like icing on top type of thing. Yeah. And like I said, like render out a copy of that sample or or group or whatever. If you're yeah. unsure about what you did to it and you're like A, B in it and you're like, ah, is it better? Is it worse? Like, you know, use your ears first, but if you're still unsure, like, you know, render it out and, and look at it and you can, you'll better understand what you did to it and what that plugin actually is doing versus what it's showing you in the UI. If it's not like clear, but, uh, yeah, I totally agree with all that. Amen. Now I, I want to, I want to bring something up. I think it's a good opportunity here to talk about the different clippers Two have been dropped here already. So I would like to take just a few minutes between us to like, talk about the clippers that we have used, what we have liked, what we currently choose for various situations. Um, One that most of our listeners will definitely already have was mentioned, the Ableton Saturator, which has a clipping mode. Uh, Mm Want to talk about that real quick? I don't use Ableton too much, so I'm not super familiar with using this. But uh, why, why do you guys and when do you guys go for the Ableton Saturator as a clipper? Um, I use, I use the Ableton one for a few different reasons. One, it's really CPU light and, uh, two, it's like, it's, it's something that I've used for a while. So I just know what to expect. And three, I saw culprit use it in a live stream and say he doesn't use any other clipper, uh, a while back. And when you're only a few years into production, that's, I mean, it's all you need. If, you, if like that, that is honestly how some people like get some of the stuff that they always do. But I mean, it is like if you don't know at any given time and someone that knows more than you says this is what they do and you start using it and then you realize like how it works for you and like what to do, like that is totally valid. Um, listening to Culprit's music, he's like a neuro producer. I mean, he makes a lot of different stuff, drum and bass, hip hop style beats, like dark, deep dubstep type stuff. But all his stuff is so clean. And he says literally the only clipper he uses is the Ableton saturator stock. And I was like, all right, cool. I don't have to I don't have to fuck with trying to find which one's the best. Like this one obviously works great for him. And it was just like good peace of mind that like, OK, this tool does what I needed to do. And so it's just what I started using. And honestly, like we're going to name a bunch of different clippers here. The most important thing is you like, you know what it's doing, you know how it sounds and you're comfortable with it. And you know, the result that you can expect from it, like whatever it is, the tool that you use, it's better to use one thing that may be 5% less good that your producer friend told you because this one's better, but like knowing it really inside and out, like that will give you better results nine times out of 10. But yeah, I use the Ableton one because it's simple. Um, I know that it gives other people good results and it gives me good results. Amen. And as you've said before on the podcast, you don't have to click that little 
icon to get it to pop out a VST window so you can just see it as it's there in line. True. <laughs> Which that little bit of not having to do that a hundred times on a song does add up. So there is something yeah. to that. Uh, if you have a tool that clearly you want to use for a different reason, then it's probably worth the, the pop-up. But thank you. Thank you for that. Um, and then the next one uh, that Nicola mentioned was G-Clip, a free plugin uh, that's so yeah. very accessible. It's one I have. I've used a lot. Um what are what are the benefits of G Clip for you? Well, first off, it's for real G's. Helps the clip. Uh, real G's. I like in it. Silence. Unless we're talking about, about a whole a episode about clipping for loudness. <laughs> um, I, I really like it because it's free and it has the oscilloscope built in. So the Ableton one's cool because you can see the kind of the meter and how much it's going over. And I will use that sometimes when I want the tone of that. But G-Clip is very transparent. And usually with G-Clip, like the way I kind of look at it earlier, like I said, when you look in the oscilloscope, which is basically just like a running waveform in real time, uh, you can see like certain peaks will peak way more than the average peak. And usually it's like the average peak where you want shit to hit. So I really like G-Clip because it makes it really easy to see where that is. And then it also has a zoom in, zoom out on the waveform in case it's too big or too small. It has a line that just moves down, shows you how much is being clipped. And I can just set, I could just snip off all the outliers of like, let's say my drum group and just put it to kind of where the highest point should be where it is 90% of the time. And I feel very confident in my decision-making skills because I can I, I can see it not only in the metering, but then I have another visual tool built into G-Clip. And uh, like I said, I use this plugin all the time, even if I'm not clipping, just to kind of see like what the, uh, the uh, waveform looks like. Like mm -hmm. if I'm compressing and I don't necessarily want to be clipping and I see like, oh, I have a really loud like peaks at the beginning and not so much after it gives me insight into how to set my attack and release times. So G clip, like it's for real G's, like definitely yeah. not lying. Highly, highly recommend that plugin. And uh, it's like a staple. Is right. The price is amazing. Zero so it's, it's like one of the best features. Three ninety nine people. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, that's not even the best feature. Like. Uh, it also, you can adjust like the soft hard on it. Mm -hmm. And I like that you could push the volume up into the clip or you could bring the clip down. Yeah. And, but yeah, it has the, of uh, it has a volume knob where you can turn up the gain and push it towards the, push the sound towards the noise, the, the ceiling, the threshold, mm -hmm. or you can bring the threshold down to it. I do like that aspect of it. I'm, I'm starting to feel like exactly what I just explained where my producer friends are saying this one's better and I've been using <laughs> the other one. And uh, But it doesn't matter. I use the Ableton one because it's what I've used and the, I'm really thinking I should sound, start using G-Clip more. <laughs> the sound and what you're getting out of it is way more important than anything else, right? Because mm -hmm. um, uh, I'm about to talk about a whole different one that I have pretty much let go of g-clip four can i guess oh, what it is? Shit. now yes, we're both gonna convert m wave shaper no but that's actually a shit. really good one i use the shit out of m wave shaper but um i use it 
it can be used for clipping for sure mm. very easily. Um, and it can have the exact effect. It doesn't have that visual oscilloscope readout though inside of it. Um, there is an M oscilloscope in the same free bundle from Melda production that you Amazing. can pair it with. But um, yeah, by the way, get that Melda bundle. It's a bunch of plugins. I only use a fraction of them, but again, it was free and everything I use yeah. in there is great, especially that M wavetaper. I actually use that mostly for bass distortion. Um, even just like taking, like leaving the line, you know, like leaving the the bottom and the top where they are and just bending the line up a little bit is such a nice saturation sound. And then if you bring that bottom node at the bottom corner up at all, the tails of your 808s get so fuzzy. Like it'll bump at the front like an 808 and the quieter it gets, the louder it gets. Like the quieter the waveform gets, it'll like start turning up the like the minuscule little like fuzz in the and just like the floor noise at the bottom of that sound. It is wonderful. I've, I've used that on a lot of bass sound design to get a lot of extra grit out of my sounds. Uh, Dude, honestly, I'm pr- like straight up the best effects sounds that ever happen in a song are always from something over distorted that created a tail that like crackled and glitched out and like distorted in a weird way as the tail echoed out. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm going to resample that. And then I'm going to flip it around and there's a riser that is baked into the texture of the sound Mm -hmm. of the song already. Like you don't, it's not, that cymatics riser ain't going to fit in your mix as well as that thing texturally. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so the one I, so I'm glad you mentioned uh, that one, the, the M wave shaper, because it is very easy to clip with that. All you got to do is make one extra node in the middle of the line and just like basically bring it to the top from the middle to the top. And that way um, at the top end, you've got a lot like a flat space, which like a squared off transient and then and then the whole rest of the body of the sound will be on average louder than it used to be um great way to do it and again like you said like clipping as opposed to compression is not time-based and same with wave shaping it's not time-based this is based on each individual waveform as opposed to having to wait for this compressor's uh attack time and then have it come back on the release time. Again, compression is very useful for some things where you want it to be smoother, where you want it to be softer and and more transparent. Um, Or if you want to do side chaining, there's things where the time-based aspect is really helpful. But sometimes that is not what we want. So again, it's not about use this and never that. It's about what is this tool? What is it best for? And is it the best for this application inside my song? The one I was going to bring up is K-Clip. Have you guys mm-hmm. checked that one out yet? Mm. For real Ks. Yeah, for real Ks. <laughs> <laughs> Get you right out of that K-hole. <laughs> or put you in one. Yeah, it's a very special K. Interesting. Breakfast K- of champions out here. Um, <laughs> yeah, so K-Clip uh, is from Kazrog Audio, and it... Uh, used to be 90 bucks. Last I checked, now on sale for 40 bucks. And it is awesome in a lot of ways. One, it has a way bigger oscilloscope readout. The UI is gorgeous. 
has a way bigger oscilloscope readout. And um, as you turn it up, it just like shows the waveform get taller. And then once the waveform hits the top of the box it's in, that's the ceiling. And then it shows the the same waveform that's getting clipped coming down the amount that it's being clipped off. And so like, so if you see no red, you're not clipping at all. And as you turn up the volume into the ceiling, the red will come down showing you the gain reduction in real time as the waveform is scrolling past you. Another thing I really like about K-Clip and uh, shouts out to Akriza, a producer who did a class at the Unisound producer camp I went to in Colorado last month or shit, almost two months ago now. Boy, howdy. Um, Time flies. But one thing he showed me about this was that it has one of those handy dandy link buttons between the input volume and the output volume. So as you crank your sound into the limiter, the, the, the output volume is coming down as you turn up. So your actual perceived sound loudness does not change at all. You can hear only the difference in what the sound feels like as it's getting more and more clipped. So it's really easy to find that sweet spot where you're like, okay, this is where it's doing nothing. This is where I broke my sound and I don't like it anymore. Somewhere in between those two places is my sweet spot. And this is how much clipping I want on this sound. And then you can hit the unlink and use the output volume to turn it up to how loud you want. Yeah. That's really nice to make sure you're not overdoing it. Mm-hmm. Like for sure. Cause in most cases I feel like when I'm applying clipping, it, it, unless it's for a sound design reason, it should be pretty transparent. Mm-hmm. It should not really sound different when you put it on. It's just now, uh, like you said, Luke, there's a difference between what we're hearing and the amount of headroom in the computer. And I know uh, this is like kind of weird concept to wrap your head around. And and uh, especially when it's like first brought up, if you haven't thought about it much, but Basically, our ears have like an EQ built into them already, and they're more or less sensitive to certain frequencies. So just because your computer is producing, uh, you know, I don't know, minus 20 dB of, of 50 hertz doesn't mean that you're hearing it at that volume because your ears aren't that sensitive to it. So it's kind of like your ears have a filter built in already and and minus 20 db of 50 hertz is not going to sound as loud as minus or whatever same loudness at 2k right because our ears value that frequency more it's more sensitive to it so it'll turn it up based on what the speaker is so basically there's kind of like a lost in translation aspect to what the computer has in data and how that comes across to human beings and sometimes a little bit of clipping, a little bit of distortion, um, all of that can really um, bring uh, closer that gap of uh, how it sounds to the computer versus how it sounds to us. Yeah. Because sometimes, like, if you have this really loud peak, maybe our um, our ears can't really register that drastic change in dynamics coming from the computer and cutting some of that off will sound not different at all, but to the computer now it has to store way less data. So hopefully that kind of helps like 
clarify some of that. If that's a little weird to you still, like look into the Fletcher Munson curve and 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 uh dive kind of deeper into like the biology of the ear, as nerdy as it is, like that shit is really insightful because it kind of helped me realize that like a lot of these tricks that we're talking about, a lot of these tools oftentimes just help get the loudness of the sound as you're hearing it to match closer to what the computer has in data. You're either changing the frequency distribution or you're cutting off dynamics or you're doing something to that sound that's fairly transparent, but is going to make that sound kind of closer it's going to make it translate more accurately from the computer to what we hear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Just kind had of. to add on to that because I know that it's like weird for people that aren't 100% on it when you first hear about it. Yeah, that's why, you know, it's like we talk about we measure loudness in LUFs a lot. There's also RMS. And um, from what I was taught, like RMS is like a measurement of like the average of how loud something actually is over time using a mathematical formula. Whereas LUFS like takes into account human, human perception. And so mm-hmm. it's a bit more accurate to that number of what the human is experiencing when we're listening back. Yeah. The I just looked up, I just looked up K clip. The UI looks very similar to pro L. Yeah, it's it nice. definitely has that. It definitely has the look of of a Fab Filter vibe, which I'm already completely sold on. I'm a sucker for good UI. Part of the reason oh, I love Reason in the first place is just all colorful, and all the native in- devices look like an old school colorful thing with knobs on it. Yeah, I dig that. Do you? So K Clip is your go to. I'm assuming that it's uh, as high quality as G Clip and its transparency. If not better, I've I've heard from people that uh, do more smart shootouts than me that are more smarterer uh, yeah, that great. it's uh, that it sounds better than than G Clip. Um, I was sold by the UI and and that honestly like really really the um, the link button that like really sold me when I sh- saw that being used just having that link the input and output volume so I can just like. You know, instead of having to like turn this up and then turn that down and then turn this up and then turn that down and try to keep like an even amount of of uh, you know, volume up, so that down. I'm not turning that I'm, so that I'm not fooling myself with, oh, it's louder. It sounds mm-hmm. better. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, let me know what the plugin is doing with this link button. And then I can hear like, OK, that's where the clipping sounds the best at the same volume. Now, let me set the volume. Um, I dig that. Also, it's got um, multiple algorithms. So it's like the, you know, mm. the, I don't know, it's like, you know, whatever. It's like the, it, the it's basic algorithm, but it also has like a tube setting and a tape setting and a guitar amp setting. And so sometimes I'll experiment with that for sound design as well and be like, what if I just crank my 808 into this far? And then I'll like just click on all these different settings and see what happens. And, you know, oftentimes I'll find one of those and be like, oh shit, that's some good fuzz yeah hell yeah and what do you do you remember did you get it on like black friday or anything i'm wondering if nope i got it on september whatever it was yeah Great. it used to be 90 when i first i saw it on a bathrometrics video and it was 90 bucks so i like put it on yeah. like I, I bookmarked it and was like i'll come back to this when i get paid at some point and then i was in the class in colorado and uh 
And they're like, yeah, it's it's only 40 bucks now. And I looked it up on my phone and indeed it was 40 bucks. So I just bought it right there in class. I was and, like, nah, I'm going to do it. It's still, it's still 40 bucks. That nice. seems like if yeah. it's as good as I really dig it. Say it is. Yeah. Seems fair. Then there's one more that I want to talk about that I recently heard about. Shouts out to DJ Yon, who was hanging out with Dylan in Vancouver when Dylan did a shootout of multiple clippers and the one that won Dylan's shootout was Standard Clip. And there is like a version of Standard Clip that's only 25 bucks without the oscilloscope or 45 bucks with the oscilloscope. Um, I have not used that yet, so I cannot speak to it personally, but it won Dylan's shootout. And I think one of the main reasons is because it has oversampling features inside of it. And so oversampling is, of course, when you are making a change to something or printing something out, you can actually sample at a way higher frequency than the normal, like 44.1, which reduces artifacts a lot when you're changing a sound. Uh, and for something like distortion, that is so important. Yeah. Uh, the UI looks like fucking Windows DOS though. It's that is me. that is honestly my biggest detractor when I was looking at it on the website. Uh, I'm like fucking ni- Windows 95 out here, bro. Like, yeah, come on, dude. son. Yeah, I hate. I mean, even no, that's kind. No shade. Like, if it works good, it works good, and like I'll fucking force myself to use it. But I just hate opening plugins like this. It's so stupid of me to care about that so much. But like. I feel doesn't it, ins- it doesn't inspire me. I'm a, I'm an artist. It needs to inspire me. <laughs> but I just like hate. I just hate how it looks. <laughs> I feel you 100 though, man. It's real. Um, <sighs> it it is what it is. Um, but apparently, it sounds great. Uh, from what DJ Yon was saying, he's like, I was in the room. I couldn't hear the difference. But Dylan has one of the most refined ears of anybody we know and has been doing this forever and done so many cool shootouts on things. So I trust his judgment. And if uh, if Bill Gates gives Standard Clip the seal of approval, know that. I'm I'm really happy with K-Clip um, for multiple reasons. Um, I don't know if Standard Clip has the, uh, has the link button because I haven't tried it. But uh, I didn't see it when I glanced at the picture on the website. Oh. Uh, it doesn't mean it doesn't have it. I didn't notice. Mm, there is like a a button or a thing that looks like it might be a link, but I don't know. I can't say for sure. Yeah. No um, worries. Did, did was K clip in the shootout? I believe it was. Yes, and I believe it was like it it got second, a close second in the shootout. I think I think mm. from what I understood, it was the oversampling that, that I mean, put it put put it's it gotta be up. i mean that i mean that just makes so much sense for something like distortion where because over like if you zoom way in on a waveform you'll notice that it shows you exactly what the computer is doing interpolating the distance in volume from the previous point to that point yeah. and it's always a straight line if you can put more dots in that information and make it less jerky mm-hmm. you could say um there's gonna be less weird pops crackles we call them artifacts and for something like distortion which is the like the major driver of many pops and crackles and weird shit like that 
it would make sense that oversampling would be a huge deal. Um, yeah. Amen. So I think we, I don't think we need to cover any more Clippers. You've given them plenty, and these are the ones we know about. There's certainly more on the market, but I'm not too worried about that. We've given built-in options, free options, and options that don't cost that much that are great. So yeah, cool. I might also just add as a sprinkle on top of that is that like, um, like you, any distortion can also be clipping your sound. And like I said before, like you have to look at it and understand what it's doing. Like if you put the zero square distortion and serum effects like that is hard clipping. It is squarifying the wave. Like if you put the tube saturator on and put the drive up to a hundred, like a lot of, a lot of distortion that you're using as well could be doing the same thing. Um, and so you don't and always need can give you distortion. Exactly. So you don't always need to clip things that have already been saturated, distorted, colored in any way. And you probably already have five to 10 things in your production toolkit that could effectively clip a sound. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel like you need to go out and buy a bunch of different clippers and like, see how they work. Like you probably already have something that works. And if you really wanted to try something better, like you do G clip first yeah. and if get the method want, down. Yeah. And yeah. then move on to some of these others if you want. Yeah. And so you, you've mentioned the term hard clipping a few times and that is opposed to soft clipping. And so mm. I think it's, it's worth noting quickly the difference between the two and hard clipping is something hits the ceiling, whatever that threshold is. And it gets completely squared off, like squarified, as we've mentioned. Great word. I'm about that life. So it hits the top and then it completely flattens the waveform and then it comes back down. There is a literal corner. If you're watching this, you can see my fingers attempting to make little squarified corners on my imaginary waveform. It's like a hard corner. There is like an angle that that hits. Whereas soft clipping anticipates that it's about to hit the ceiling and starts curving it so that it doesn't have the corner. The sound is a little bit different. It's a softer sound generally. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a little, it's a little bit less gritty and a lot of these clippers. In fact, I think all of these clippers we've talked about have options for how much to soften the clipping. I know G clip and K clip do for sure. Um, mm -hmm. So that is something to also experiment with. Like if you, if you feel like the sound is a little too harsh, but you've got the dynamics where you want them, try softening it. And that will be underneath the threshold. How, you know, it's like hitting the brakes before you go into a turn on your car, you know, <laughs> like as opposed to just straight up screeching around the corner. Just ripping the e-brake and yeah. getting squirrely. <laughs> Tokyo drift. Yeah. Or exactly. no Nokio drift. <laughs> mm. I always think of um it's a weird kind of analogy, but uh how how uh if you shoot like bullets in water, uh like or if you're being shot at in water. You don't even have to like go down that deep for the bullets to stop because they're like it's like exponential as soon as it hits the water and the like resistive force of the water pushes back against it 
obviously the deeper it gets because then you have the pressure of the water surrounding it and so on. One so of that's kind of how I always think of soft clip. Life. You know, to sometimes, know pilot next sometimes to how to get the Mondays out of are hand. extra rough. Good to, know. Good to know. Yeah, if I was getting shot um, at, I would hate Mondays more. Yes. Yeah. You know, I was in that situation. I was like, you know, this would be a great lesson. Yeah. Once I, once I get out of here. So I wanna I wanna get us to something um important, which is to to circle back around to the hey, leave headroom, but wait, do we really need to? Why are we doing it? Do we really mm. need to? There is a newer philosophy called the clip to zero method where instead of leaving a bunch of headroom, mixing everything quiet, and then cranking it up at the very end, you clip your kick, and then you turn it up until it hits the ceiling at the very beginning of your mixing. And then you make all your decisions from there, allowing everything to hit that ceiling. And this is really similar to me to something that Seth Drake teaches in The Approach, where he will put a utility on the master and just every once in a while in the mixing process, crank that shit to 11 and just smush everything into the ceiling and see what happens. His thought on that is it's gonna get clipped. What's it gonna sound like when it is clipped? Why wait until you've made every decision in the mix to find out? Why not? Mix your kick, EQ your kick a little, crank it up, see what happens when it gets clipped. EQ it while it's clipped, make it sound better, turn it down, does it still sound good? If it sounds good, clip to shit, and not, you're in a good place. No matter how much you have to squish that kick into a limiter, it's still going to hit right. Similar, the, I really like this method of clip to zero, where I just crank the shit loud right away, say, fuck headroom, that's an idea that comes from the 60s where you had analog gear that actually had a very good reason to not go past that because every piece of gear had a sweet spot way quieter than that. Let the mastering engineer with their specialized, amazing million-dollar mastering desk handle loudness later. But now we don't have to play by those rules. We're in a computer, we're in a digital environment, if you are lucky enough to be using amazing analog gear, you know, experiment with it. Figure out what it sounds like when you crank shit. You might like it less or more. I don't know. But in a digital environment, we can we can just set our clippers on the group like we talked about in the kind of Skrillex style busing template where we're where we're clipping the individual instruments that need it and clipping when we sum instruments together. And instead of doing it really quiet, we can just do it loud. And then by the time you get to your end of your mixing process and want to put your mastering limiter on there, it already sounds like it's going to sound. Now you just you put the Pro-L on there or whatever and look at your luffs and be like, okay, I want two more luffs out of this. Let me turn up Pro-L two little decibels and print the fucker. Yeah. I, yeah. I also really like that in this method, my mix is damn near as loud as my reference track that has already been mastered mm -hmm. because it is not easy mm -hmm. to find the mixed, not mastered version of your favorite songs. You can't Good find luck. it. I'm telling you right now, you will not find it unless it is an educational resource and designed to be one. Yeah. You and don't have it. And so like why even 
base our whole method off that non-existent ref, you know, reference point. Like the shit's already been clipped. Why not make my decisions on how loud my snare should be next to my kick, how loud my sub should be behind my kick, etc., based off something that's going to change when I run that shit through a limiter. Yeah. Amen. I mean, like for the longest time, I wouldn't even bother referencing until I had a test master. And, you know, to be fair, I've got like a mastering chain that I use for a test master that like I know if I get the gain reduction on the first compressor at about two, it'll be roughly minus six luffs. But even then, you're still like not you're still not dialed in. You don't have like all of this, all of the track like massage to the point where it can be as loud as the reference. And then you just start making bad decisions because you don't have apples to apples. Mm-hmm. And that's ro- that's why a lot of what you said is really resonating um, for sure. Yeah. Have you guys tried the clip to zero method yet? Fairly recent um, for me. No. I feel like most of these methods, I do a kind of combination and I found what works for me. So... Kind of. I definitely lead with the kick snare in my mix, and I do use that as my anchor. However, I've found, um, especially uh, since I don't make like really like bass heavy music anymore, uh, sometimes I have to pull my kick back actually to get the right kind of gel between the elements. And even when I yeah. was doing bass music, that was a stylistic thing for me to really smash the drums, clip them, keep them super loud. And and I kept that, but I've, I've started to notice like I could get a bit more nuance out of the sound. If I, um, if I use that as my starting point, but then don't uh, leave that option off the table in terms of changing the volume. Cause yeah. uh, I would, I would kind of pigeonhole myself there and, uh, I don't know. I feel like the, I always use the analogy of those people that stack rocks. I just feel like it's such a fine balance, uh, that, um, you know, you kind of have to go back and forth between the mix and master to really like massage everything in as, as Evan said. Yeah. Yeah. But that's just me to agree with you. Like I, you know, anything, in my production career, anytime I've tried to do this method or this method or anything and just like like a, I'm using the word dogmatic a lot for anyone that's unfamiliar with the word dogma. It's basically like following a set of rules without without questioning it. Just that is truth uh, as it's presented to me and I'm taking it as a full truth and like that's what I'm going to do. So so any dogmatic system. It's like religion. As opposed exactly. to science. Exactly. Like just blindly believing in anything, whether it be a production method or religion, is totally up to you. But what I've found is that when I try to do this method with what I do, it just breaks it down further than the thing that's already working for me. And like, to be honest, I don't even fucking look at my headroom ever. I am making the song and I'm relatively putting stuff where it needs to go based on my ears, not based on limiters or meters or anything. And by the time I get to the end of the rough draft, if it 
to get it to the point where it needed to sound good, the stuff is at the levels it needs to be. And I'm like, this might be down one, this might be up one, just kind of adjusting it as I go and notice it. I have no idea what the headroom is. It could be over zero, it could be under zero. And then once everything is relatively where it needs to be, like in a test master, that's when the rest of the massaging happens. And all of the things that we've talked about have been crucial tools that I use in that process to accomplish the goal that I'm going for. I'm like, like basically what I mean to say is the clip to zero method I'm sure is a set of rules that works really, really well. Uh, And I use some of those techniques all the time, but (laughs) I've got a, I've got a bus that's going down the road and it's working and I don't need to take the wheels off to try and put spinners on it when the bus is moving. Amen. So if what you're doing is working immaculately, continue. If you are struggling to get your mixes loud and to get the shit, you know, working, try some of these methods where we're talking about, I mean, clipping in general is going to help you keep your dynamics in check to get more loudness for sure. We can all agree on that. Um, This new method that I've been working with of just, cranking shit and like i mean basically you're saying you're ignoring the headroom component anyways and that's that's what i've started doing for the longest time i just heard this so many times from so many sources so many random youtube videos like always leave x amount of headroom and they differed on how much but they all said leave headroom so i did and it didn't help and yeah once i learned that this was a rule created in a system that i don't have access to (laughs) <laughs> I was like, okay, well, maybe I don't need to worry about that that much. And my next thought was, oh, as long as I'm not like hitting the red, I'm probably good. And that worked yeah. better. And then yeah. now I'm like, you know, what if I intentionally hit the red? Because I'm going there anyways. I'm gonna, mm-hmm. I'm gonna square my shit out because I'm gonna be hitting that limiter and it's going to be giving me gain reduction at the end, no matter what. Why not just do that at the beginning. And that's I, I, working I mean, even better for your me life's changed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like the, literally it, honestly, going back that, to tracks that I was like, man, I, I'm it's, it's close. If I released it now, I wouldn't hate it, but I don't love it. And just like hitting save as like dropping all the levels back to zero and like turning them up and one by one with this new method. And I'm getting way better results. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, if if I had heard about, like, this method that you just described sounds like the most efficient and atu- intuitive method to mix loud dance music, bass music, whatever, that someone that isn't intimately familiar with everything, like, or, or even anyone. Like, honestly, like, the it sounds like the best method that I've ever had explained to me if i didn't already like like just move in the everything (sighs) basically what i'm trying (laughs) to say is that ever since i stopped trying to do it this way or that way and started judging every decision start to finish based on what do i like and what are my ears telling me like 
I would be using this method. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that sounds pretentious or not. I don't mean it to be. I mean, you've been working on this for many, many years, doing a lot of the experimentation we talk about where you're just like, well, yeah. what is this doing? Let me render this. Oh, I see what this is doing compared to what this is doing. This is doing too much. This is not doing enough. This is what's working for me. I'll do that until I learn something better, but I'll keep experimenting. What do my ears tell me? What do my eyes tell me when I render the thing out? Like that, I yeah. think, you know, no matter what method of anything you want to call anything, that scientific mindset of like, fuck around and find out, but like yeah. with specific question yeah. in mind and some control variables, like that's, that's really important. That's the most important thing, I think. And uh, we had some yeah. questions and comments in the chat. I want to make sure we get to big up. Yeah, you do it better. Uh, Blue's saying that Cryptochronic has been doing the Clip to Zero thing on his show, Get Sick, Get Quick, which, humans, shout out, is... uh, You should watch that. Tuesdays that we're not on Dojo TV, Cryptochronica is. Go check it out. That guy knows his stuff. His music sounds great. And I'm excited for what he's going to start dropping soon because I got to actually play a renegade party in the mountains with him this summer. And he played right after me and played an awesome set um, and played a bunch of unreleased tunes that sounded great. So shouts to Cryptochronica, Dojo Homie, Sensei Extraordinaire, and just straight good dude. Uh, check out his problem or his, his show, Get Sick, Get Quick. Um, let's see. What? Scrolling up, scrolling up. We hear about the penalty. loudness penalty for streaming, but we know Ill Gates masters loud as fuck and his stuff sounds great on streaming. He says he masters with live performance in mind. I haven't performed live, so I can't speak to that. I know on Twitch, I don't like pulling up to a DJ that's quiet and I have to turn it up. Amen to that. Uh, when you're, when you're, so the behind this question is the knowledge that streaming services each have their recommended LUFS level to upload to their streaming sites for what they change every song that comes in to that loudness level anyways. Spotify's like negative 12, I think. YouTube might be negative 14, et cetera. I don't know what the exact numbers are. The catch is every service has a different number. So some people say, well, I want my sound to be changed as little as possible. So I'm going to bounce out something that's maybe right in the middle of all those and send that in. And if you are doing like a dynamic acoustic type of music, that might be the best move. But with bass music, dance music, electronic music, my personal thought on this is that it's supposed to sound compressed. It's supposed to sound smashed into a limiter. It, Everybody does yeah. it. That's what we expect. Really dynamic dance music, overly dynamic dance music sounds wrong to the fans of the genre. And it's not what the standard is. And so I would say, back to Baphometrics, argues that negative seven is a great left target has a whole video about it, about like how loud is loud enough and like puts a mix together and like pushes it past seven, pulls it back down to nine or 10. And she was like, if you're down to like 10, 
Can't you hear how it just sounds kind of thin and weak and not right for this bassy ass song? And if you if I push it to five or four, can't you see how it's like starting to lose a lot of its definition and like argues that seven is a good spot? And I tend to agree with that. Counterpoint, um, some of my favorite bass tunes hit like negative four and negative three. But again, we're back to like it was like um, I don't know if you all know that song again, Widow by Skrillex and Joyride. One mm-hmm. of my favorite tunes in the past few years, every time I hear it, I dance my ass off. The the intro averages negative six and the drops average like negative three and a half. It is a loud fucking song and it sounds amazing. If your composition, your sound design and your mixing enable you to get louder and your song sounds better when you push it louder, then go there. If you try to push it louder then don't go there. But that all boils down to my opinion that get it to sound the best at whatever level. If you're not able to get past negative nine, you've got some problems and imbalances in your mix and you need to return to the mix to, to rebalance shit. I find clipping and clip to zero have helped me personally achieve my loudness targets way easier with less fuss and less redoing of shits. And, um, and then just print it at that level and give it to Spotify and they'll just like turn it down so that it's volume at whatever squishness it has uh, is doesn't blow people's eardrums out in their ear pods. Yeah. Yeah. For reference, I mastered the entire escapism album to between minus three and minus four luffs. And Woo. what it, what it did do is, make me fix all of the problems because you can't get it loud without everything being cleaned off. What I would do now is not distribute a minus three master because well, just because you can't, it it doesn't translate as well on a phone. Like there are certain like aspects of the dynamics that I had to massage a bunch of stuff. What I would do now is master it to maybe minus four to like get all of the cleanliness and then probably turn it down to minus five between minus five and minus six. But I like aesthetically, like you talked about, like the squashness of modern dance music is part of the sound. Like I wanted it to sound loud and aggressive and it was a choice, but to be honest, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I don't think I don't think going that loud is necessary or even good for the cleanliness of the record if you're not trying to get something that's just like totally raw and in your face. Um I would like us like like you said, between minus five and minus seven. Amen. Yeah. Also minus, three, minus four. That's loud because you ripped uh, off all your hair. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh, I knew it. No, no, he didn't have to a rip it out. The speakers blew it all off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's like, all right, in time for the final mix. Final, final, final. <laughs> final. <laughs> well, to oh, be man. fair, most of the stuff I reference, like Mephjis and like other stuff that I revere is like clean and punchy, is it between minus two and minus three on the WLM loudness meter. 
Yep. So I was like, I ain't going to go that loud, but if I want this record to feel modern, I want it to be nearly as loud and pigeon my pigeonholed myself into way too loud. Hey man. I mean, I think that makes sense. Yeah. I think that makes sense for your style and what you're doing because it's so aggressive. But I think lo-fi, please don't try to get anywhere near that. Don't. (laughs) Yeah. Even if even the stuff I do vocally. (laughs) Yeah. Or Luke, I'm sure the beats that you send exactly like some of the softer kind of stuff. Yeah. You can very, very easily with the methods we've talked about today uh, through busing and clipping and all that achieve those levels like very comfortably to the point where like uh, I'm sure you guys can relate at least to some extent, but now it's like everything is mixed as I go. And because I can put those practices into place, kind of how I do it, shit sounds how it sounds in the final, like give or take, like everything is just already or, or everything is created initially to just sit in the song, how it's going to sit. Um, so yeah, I think, I think we touched on a bunch of good stuff today. I agree. And I think Amen. it'll be a, it'll be a game changer. And, you know, uh, like now it's, it's kind of a worry of the past for me. Once you know, kind of the couple things you're looking for, you want roughly this loudness, you know, these busing techniques to kind of help you out. You, you know, how to use soft clipping to your advantage all of that, it becomes really easy to put these puzzle pieces together because you're usually going to be using the same kind of techniques in the same kind of situation. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think you'll you'll finish your ideas a lot quicker and they'll just sound like polished off the bat. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. Big up, chat. Yeah, Everyone that's in the chat, guys. go pre-save, pre-save Luke's record that drops this Friday. Just yeah, and if now. you're listening to this when the thing is out, just go on Spotify and listen to it because it's done, been out. We recorded this shit two weeks and plus save ago. it and add it to a playlist. Yeah, shit matters. and uh, yeah, follow me because I'm gonna start dropping shit like every two weeks for a hot minute. I got, uh, yeah. I got a, I got a collab with Flow Mads coming soon. That's Sean C and Sis Flow. Sean C is a dojo alum. He's on uh, uh, Class of 808 Volume Shout Two with his dope track. Got Storm that Drain. Storm Drain is still one of the one of my favorite songs from you, so oh, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to that one too. Cause. Oh yeah, it's dope. It's a this one's kind of like a rap reggae dubstep mix. Good, up. yeah, it's, good. It's, it's fucking hot. Good. Uh, looking forward to this one dropping in a few weeks. So yeah, get ready, humans. Woo! And we tell them peace and peace among worlds. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> Evan's got a floating plant. Loki flex. I do. I do, dude. Fuck all your non-floating plants. <laughs> I like it. All right, humans. Thanks for being with us again this week. Highly appreciate you. I'm Luke Rain. I'm glad you were here on behalf of me and Tesco and Rip Kenny. Thank you so much. And make sure to tell your friends about us. That's the best way to help this channel grow and uh, let us keep doing this and bringing you these good resources to tell more people about it so that we're encouraged to keep doing it. Make sure we know that uh, that our hard work is appreciated. Um, yeah, give us a share. You can share our website 
website, thehumanmusicpodcast.com. It has all our streaming sites on there that you can find us on and more. Um, make sure to check out the song of the week. That's my new tune with the Flow Mads called Deja Vu. It drops on Friday after this uh, episode drops. So if you're right on, right on there, it'll be a pre-save link. And if you're listening a little later, it'll be a link to go directly and listen. I'm really pumped about this song. You can hear it behind me. It's kind of like reggae-ish, rap-ish, dubstep-ish vibes. And uh, remember, there was this uh, Biofometrics YouTube channel that we uh, that we recommended. That is down there in the links below. And uh, you can support our sponsors while you're down there. The Spice It Up Percussion of Foley Pack. There's over 2,000 percussion loops and one-shots from your boy Luke Rain here and Porch. And there's 50 rack instruments already made in there, uh, both for Reason and for Ableton. You can also check us out on Dojo TV. That's free producer live stream classes from the producer Dojo Sensei. And we record this live every other week on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Pacific. You can join us in the chat, ask questions, drop gifts, hang out, and see the episode before anybody else. There's also Tesco's Patreon. Tesco's launched a Patreon channel where you can get educational content, project files, behind-the-scenes footage, access to Discord, track feedback, private lessons, and more. There's the weekly download where you can learn from Armin's or Ill Gates at the Producer Dojo and his private weekly group lessons. Get access to over 300 more episodes in the archive for just 20 bucks a month. Also, there's guest practices where you can learn from Seth Drake at the Approach Institute. He's the best engineer we know, and your first class is free. He also has the entire Approach course that I highly recommend. It's amazing. Better information and way cheaper than any audio school I have ever heard of. Again, thehumanmusicpodcast.com is our website. Make sure to share us, tweet this out, drop it on your Facebook, put it in a group, Reddit post, or whatever you feel like. Just text to a friend that makes music and, and wants to know more. All right. Much love to y'all. Peace. Peace among worlds.